0: hi and welcome this is lee siegfried host of a life well lived with dogs podcast thank you so much for joining us this is a podcast where we keep it real we talk about dogs living with dogs life with dogs dog training and the full spectrum of the journey from puppyhood and beyond thank you so much for joining us let's get to it hello this is lee siegfried with life well live with dogs podcast thank you so much for joining me Today, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be doing a little Q&A troubleshooting, but we're going to also be talking about some of the myths that people experience as dog owners that I just want to bust. I want to bust them to save you time, energy, sanity, and just to get really grounded in terms of what matters. So let's get right to it. Okay. My loves, dog trainers are an interesting type. I being one of them, but kind of like not trying to belong to that crew, dog trainers sometimes really have a love affair with complexity and making things overly complex for their clients. And then when their clients aren't successful, they're just like, boo, it's your fault. You didn't do anything. So I want to assure you, I have like 0.0 interest in perpetuating any of those notions. The thing to really get is that each of you have your own unique kind of blueprint between you and your dog, your environment, and like all the things that matter for sort of the, that create the fabric of your your journey and your interaction and your life with your dog. Let's just call it your life with your dog, right? So let's talk about a couple things that come up where people can get stuck, stymied, or just like, doesn't feel great. And I want to shed some light on these things. So thing number one is that this idea of wanting to be liked by your dog can actually get in the way of you being effective with your dog. I actually don't think that's really a myth. I just don't think it's things that we talk about when we talk about our interaction with our dogs. We tend to get in the weeds when we're thinking about the approach and how we feel about it and how the dog may feel about it or how we project to think that the dog may feel about it. And to get you out of the weeds, what I wanna kind of just focus on is being effective with your dog usually means that you're a clear communicator and you are handling and advocating for them in situations where they really need that from you. And sometimes in the process of sharing our lives with dogs, we miss moments where we could have been a better advocate. We're not even clear about where we could be advocating for their dogs, or we may have unrealistic expectations that are a lot about us and not about the dog. And I think that that's worthy of a conversation. In terms of myth busting, it's really great to be likes by your dog, but it's even better for your dog to trust you. So rather than focusing on like the like factor and, you know, I guess I'm like a people pleaser in recovery. That's what I would say. And actually that informed a lot of my training early on in my training career. I annoyed the shit out of my dog with training her. I did so much like training and learning with her that in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, she was so forgiving and forgivable with all the stuff I like mechanically had her do so that I could be a learner on the other end of it. And I had this real pivotal moment in my relationship with her where, and I really think that that's the journey for a lot of us where like, you have c- total cringe moments with your dog where you're like, oh, I would have done that differently. Oh, I would have done that differently. It could be around where you might've advocated for them at the vet or a groomer or like, Even a a professional, I'm like, I'm sure I've had cringe moments with people. I mean, I know I have. We all have, right? It's like it's like telling one on ourselves. And I remember this point in our relationship where I began to learn about the like ethology, which is the natural study of animals and natural environments. Basically, it's taking learning out of like a place with four walls and putting it in the natural world, where it is useful and it's about survival and feeling safe in a way that you're taking the observations of how animals learn when they're in a natural environment and kind of bringing that back to the domesticated dog. Cut to, I had this real realization where I was like, I can see where I'm kind of like put being liked and being loved or being nice as a priority. I mistook it as like the priority in the relationship. And it's not that I really had any big, like weird stuff going on with my dog. I mean, she did have some, she did have some reactivity. She was a street dog from Serbia, like not exactly the most what I call domesticated of dogs. (laughs) This is not a dog that was whelped in a home and had like a very predictable source of nutrition. And, you know, it was like a dog that's like hanging out in the chaos of like street dogness with, living with like 60 plus other dogs in some lady's yard right getting fed scraps of bread not exactly you know silver spoon um like oh my god i hope they're healthy did they get their x-rays on their hips like what that was like not even a conversation when i got this dog in my life in terms of like vetting like health which we'll we'll talk about that because i don't think you guys um probably have a context for that but for those of you that are looking for a dog it could be a thing for you to know So at this moment, I really realized, holy shit, a lot of my strategies that I use with her have been completely sort of like subconsciously informed by this idea of wanting to be loved and liked by her. And I was like, what is that all about? And it's like, okay, it's why we get dogs, right? That unconditional love. And, but I also realized that the things that I had been taught that informed my training really didn't take into account the soul level things that the dog might need to feel safe and understood and to trust me. So I mistook a narrative about the use of positive learning and positive training as a substitute for feeling safe, feeling understood. And that rocked me because I, at that time was in a community of trainers that weren't having these types of conversations. So this is all like self-discovery on the back end. This is not like we went out for like happy hour and we're like, so are you, (laughs) or am I the only one? Like this was, this is very much an internal dialogue that I kind of, you know, held, held close and kind of wrestled with and kind of, and like critically took a look at. What I really came to get in that moment is that those are not the same thing, right? How you approach your training We all want to do it in a very kind way, in a very fair way, and we want to do it in an effective way. And I don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Like I'm never looking for precision level obedience with any dog owner that I work with. I'm looking for like the dance in the meeting in the middle where they can accomplish and communicate in an effective way that. Feels good and actually allows the dog and the owner to have such a deeper, enriched life. And it's strange to even say that out loud because I'm like, wow, I've been obsessed with this for like twenty fucking years. It's been a while. it's been a long time, y'all. Yeah this this moment of getting for myself that being liked was like a flimsy substitute for the real thing of being gotten. One's like continuous fond response. I mean, hello, people pleasers, put your hands up. And one is just like a deep knowing of like, I can exchange a glance with you across the room and be like, you get me, I get you, we're good, we're good, we're good. Or if I see my dog going like, um, there's a little person crawling around on the floor, like, can you do something about that? That I can help everyone feel more, I guess, comfortable or more advocated for, or or just maybe perhaps it's like more safe. I guess I think of it as like being gotten or understood because I think that that's like, huh. That's a, you know, that's a tough one. Not everyone's going to get, I mean, let's be real. It's an illusion to think that people live in your head and are going to really get you. But when people do connect to things that you're doing with your work or your words or, or, you know, whatever it is that you're passionate about, that feels really good to feel like you're like, you got it. You know, you got it. Like I'm, there's an, there's an exchange, right? So when I had this moment of going like, oh, I've really kind of gone down the rabbit hole of mistaking a training style or a training approach as like a holistic thing. It was so like earth shattering for me. And it and it also was so in a way confusing because I was like, well, I mean, I still want to train like a particular way. Like I want to I want to be kind. Right. And I want to be effective and I want to meet the dog where they're at and the person where they're at, too. And yet I'd say at that point in my career, I was probably more like a one trick pony, you know? And I think that sometimes that's, that's really seductive for trainers to, to kind of get, to be like, this is my approach. This is how I'm doing it. I'm going to just keep doing it this way. And the seduction there, especially when you have a community of people that are like completely in agreement, it's like collusion. It's like everybody's in on it, but nobody knows they're in on it. It's like knowing that the stock tank is going to price and getting going (laughs) to going to tank and getting out early. I found that in that practice of being really boldly, unabashedly honest with myself about what I perceived was happening versus what was maybe happening, it opened up this door for me to go, what does the dog really need? You know, and you've heard me say like, what do we think they need versus what they really need? It's the same kind of conversation. It was like, what does my dog really need? okay, cool. She's a little reactive. She's going to need me to perhaps step it up. huh? It also had me go, why am I behaviorally seeing what I'm seeing from her? And what may they say about me? That is not a place where we want to look as a dog owner. Holy shit. Right? We're like, I'm sorry. I'm pulling the covers over my head and going back to bed. No, thank you. I have to look to see what that may mean about me or what maybe I'm bringing to the table. That was an ugly thing too. And it wasn't that there was like a lot of ugly there. Right. But it was like, it was almost like shadow works like shit. Okay. Here's the thing I believed wholeheartedly and went for and based my strategies around. And then like, okay. And, and, you know, and the other thing too, was like really getting that perhaps these strategies that may work for one dog are not going to work for different dogs with different challenges. And, you know, that's always been interesting to me too. Reading books that people write about their dogs. And it's so compelling because it's so right on the money in that moment in time for that dog and handler. Can I paint the broad strokes and are those books really applicable in some ways to all of us? Sure, there's like some meta moments, right? But is like the training strategy that someone worked on with their one dog going to be like a blanket boilerplate like approach for all of us? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. And, and, and there's, maybe perhaps more questions and answers and that's okay too. So the myth of don't ever mistake the myth of like wanting to be liked and the unconditional love part as the same prioritizing wanting to be liked and loved by the dog in terms of how you get there or how you create that result in your relationship. There's so much give and take, but let me just assure you this. It is completely not solely resting on the shoulders of how you train. That's the nugget. Because you're going to need to experiment. You're going to need to hang loose. You might need to be open to different types of equipment. The burn is when it becomes less about us and it becomes more about helping the dog, then you have to be really honest with what's going to help. What You have to be honest with yourself about what may be helpful to the dog and make it less about you and more about the dog. I think that's honestly the burn. It's like the disillusion that it was ever about you anyway. But I mean, it's about you but it's like not about you. And that doesn't mean you can't still do all like the kitschy, cute shit, right? Buy the outfits. Please always buy the outfits, buy the raincoats, buy the coats, buy the hats, but do right by the dog. At the end of the day, you've got 10 to 15 years and that can be a lot of pressure to be like, okay, I'm a dog owner. I'm like supposed to like not mess it up and get it right and understand all these things. Boo, I got you. It's a lot. I mean, it can feel like daunting, but like, I want to remind you, you got the dog to feel more alive. I don't know if you know that, but that is sort of like the secret soul mission of every dog. So I'm going to leave you on that note. And thanks for tuning in. Keep myth busting here. There's so many layers to this guy's like there's so many layers. There's so many layers to the things that we, we kind of bring in that really have nothing to do with being effective and sort of weirdly everything to do with being effective. So thank you for being, thank you for listening. thank you for being on this little journey, little sojourn of my brain grapes. All right. Until the next time, this is Lee Siegfried with Life Will Live with Dogs. Thank you for being here. Big love.